You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. In the book of Joshua, we are back into chapter 10. If you will go there with me, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. I love listening to praise items. I like hearing people say, I had prayed about some circumstance in our family or there was a real need that we had and to hear how God answers that prayer. Just, it's encouraging to hear that. It's encouraging to see the encouragement on their face uh, as they tell you the blessing and then for me to step back and realize how God continues to answer the prayers for so many of his people. I will tell you tonight, I know without doubt God wants to bless his children. Um, Sometimes I can get the feeling like, and I, I, I know that at different times in my life, I have felt like, that I was down here on earth running around trying to get a whole bunch of things done for God, and God's up in heaven kind of busy, and, and I have to try to convince him uh, to really feel like what I'm doing is important enough for him to put his hand into it and to do something. Well, I, I've come to realize... <laughs> Uh, Years ago, that's not the case. God is keenly interested in what we are doing for Him. The the most important thing, obviously, is to to realize I'm serving God, that what I do in life, the way we try to live our lives and raise our families, even uh, coming to church and serve Him, those things are within the will of God um, that we are doing. If they're in the will of God, they are the will of God, and God wants to empower that. You'll never see a greater example of that than what we're going to read here tonight. Unbelievable, the things that God does for his children so that they can carry out the ministry and the work of God. So let's get into um, chapter 10, if you will. I, again, you've, those of you that have been with me know and understand that Um, Israel has now crossed the Jordan River, walls of Jericho have come down, Ai eventually comes down, and uh, and the Gibeonites, remember the story from last Sunday night, they tricked um, Israel and Joshua, and red-faced, he realizes, I made a horrible mistake, did not consult God, and now uh, we have the Gibeonites, they're part of us. They're not that extended enemy that we're supposed to wipe out any longer, we brought the enemy right into our own, I'll just put it this way, in our own house. And now they're a part of us, and we have to watch over them and protect them just as much as we would anybody else. Now, if you'll bear that in mind, as we get into this chapter here tonight, it'll make a whole lot more sense to you, because the Gibeonites now get into trouble. And guess whose issue it becomes? Israel's. So look, in, uh, in chapter 10 and verse 1, and you'd be glad I'm reading the names of these guys. Uh, now it came to pass when uh, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, 
as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So are you catching all this? That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was even greater than Ai, <clears throat> and all the men thereof were mighty. So all these other kings over here are saying, what in the world? Um, they've wiped out Jericho and Ai, and, and now the Gibeonites have just surrendered without a fight? Oh my goodness. You know, the Gibe uh, Gibeon is a huge city. And oh man, now we're in trouble. If Gibeon is surrendering, what are we going to do? Verse 3, Wherefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Jephiah, king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, uh, that we may smite Gibeon. For it hath made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. Therefore, now here's the big deal, and here's what's going on. The five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, all those guys gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. We're going to teach you guys a lesson. What's the big idea breaking away from us? We were all confederate. We all used to work together. And now you've just kind of silently broken away and joined forces with the enemy. So they go up against them. They're going to make them pay. Verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. <clears throat> so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. Now that's a great promise to have. Heading into the battle, you've already won the battle before you get there, basically. He says, There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Now that's a little pause button there. Wouldn't it be nice to read history before you get to it? That's really what God just did there. You're going to win. History written. But that's the way God sees things. God, there's no past, present, and future to God. He, he sees it all, and he knows what's going to happen, and he makes it known to them. And, uh, and, and that ought to be a blessing and a challenge to us. So, into verse 8, not a man of them shall stand before thee. You've already won. Verse 9. <clears throat> Joshua, therefore, came unto them suddenly... And went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel. And slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon. And smote them to Azekah and to Makeda. And it came to pass. Guys, it gets pretty good down through here. It came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. Uh, they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the 
Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. Now listen, this is Joshua talking to God. And he said, in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. Are you guys reading what I'm reading? And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about, oh, about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him unto the camp to Gilgal. Can anybody else say, wow you had to have been there to see that where does that happen and again i said it this morning but who does that there's only one that can do that but it took a praying man and a a compassionate god to have the story that we just read here tonight amazing unbelievable story but let's have prayer and then i'll get into these thoughts here tonight god thank you for your rich blessings to the children of men so undeserving we are but you're such a loving caring compassionate god and i'm so thankful you are a prayer answering god that meets our needs as we endeavor to serve the lord and to accomplish uh, your plans in this life god i'm asking you to stir us up tonight with what we read and may our hearts be challenged and uh, and truly be a prayer uh, church that lifts up our hearts to the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so an alcoholic became a believer and he got saved and he was asked how he could possibly believe all the nonsense in the Bible about the miracles. You don't believe that Jesus changed the water into wine, do you? He said, I sure do because in our house, Jesus changed the whiskey into furniture. All that money he used to spend on alcohol all of a sudden, he could supply the house with the furniture they needed. I don't know if you've heard of the name Josh McDowell, but a uh, um, great man of God in, in, in many ways, uh, not the same stripe as we are, but just really uh, tries to serve the Lord. And while Josh McDowell was attending seminary in California, just think about this, his father went home to be with the Lord. His mother had died years earlier, but Josh was not sure of her salvation. And he became depressed, thinking that she might be lost. Was she a Christian or not? And the thought obsessed him. Lord, he prayed, somehow give me the answer so I can get back to normal. And that was his prayer. I just got to know. And it seemed like an impossible request. Well, two days later, Josh drove out to the ocean He walked to the end of the pier to be alone. But there sat an old woman in a lawn chair fishing. "Um, Where's your home originally, she asked. And Josh replied, Michigan, Union City. Nobody's heard of it. I tell people it's a suburb of. And then the woman interrupted him and said, Battle Creek. She said, I had a cousin from there. She said, did you know the, the McDowell family? 
And stunned, Josh responded, uh, yes, I'm Josh McDowell. I can't believe it, said the woman. I'm a cousin to your mother. And both of them stunned. Do you remember anything at all about my mother's spiritual life? Asked Josh. Why, sure. Your mom and I were just girls, teenagers. When a tent revival came to town, it was the fourth night, we both went forward to accept Christ. (laughs) Praise God, shouted Josh, startling the surrounding fishermen. But I just believe God can do great and mighty things. I believe God does, still does the miraculous. I've said many times over the last probably couple of three months, looking backwards into the book of Matthew, there are several ways in which God gets his will done. Uh, A couple of those ways. We've mentioned them either by a miracle where God changes the course of nature. Uh, He does something to grip nature to do the abnormal so that the supernatural can take place. Other times, God just uses providence, which means as life unfolds around us and as we go about our life trying to serve the Lord in the best way we can, God takes life as it happens and providentially guides and directs that so that his will is accomplished as well. And what may look like an ugly, dark trial or something in our lives, God takes that, Romans 8, 28, and uses that to accomplish his purposes Uh, That's providence. But guys, a miracle is when God takes the natural course of nature and changes that to also accomplish his purposes. You don't see it in any greater fashion than you did right here tonight. And I just sat back, studied and read that, oh, five or six times over the last couple of days, and it just astounds me what God has done. Uh, In our last couple of chapters, I've already kind of headlined my message, but Joshua has had to learn some really heart-wrenching lessons, and you know that right along with me, without consulting God and praying to him about AI, you know, yeah, just go ahead, send 3,000 men up there. That should be an easy uh, battle to win. God's on our side. Let's go ahead and do so. And you know as well as I do, had he prayed and asked God, is this okay? Are, Are we still, everything good? God would have shown him and told him, no, the accursed thing is in the tent of Israel. And don't you dare go up. It's going to cost the lives of many men if you do so. But he didn't. And he did not pray. And suffered the very first major defeat and the loss of those 36 men. And then, of course, uh, we came not long right after that. Here come the Gibeonites. Uh, traipsing up over the hill on their horses. And their, uh, you know, the bread was moldy and their clothing was all tattered and torn. Their shoes were worn out and convinced them that, uh, you know, we're from a far away country and, and we're from way, way far away, which they're saying we're not part of the group you're supposed to wipe out. That's really what they were trying to get them to believe. And after a while, they looked at the bread and smelled it. We all know what moldy bread looks and smells like, right? Uh, <clears throat> and uh, and we, we know what an old set of clothing looks like those that my wife keeps wanting me to throw away in my closet. And I'm like, it took me a long time to get comfortable in these clothes, but we know what old clothes look like. And so here's Joshua and he's like, yeah, guys, come on in. We'll, we'll take you in and we'll, we'll let you be a, a part of us. They made a covenant, a pact with them. And then it was about two or three days later, come to find out they weren't from a far away country. They were right just real close to them. 
And they were part of the enemy that was supposed to be wiped out. But because they did, listen, they did not seek the Lord, they now have the enemy right in their own house the rest of their life. And they have to live with it and do the best they can with that and make uh, a tough circumstance good. And, and it does. It does get good, and they're servants, and they do a lot of things in Israel. But now they're a part of Israel, so to speak, and um, they're under the watch care of Israel. And now, um, here's the Gibeonites. They're in trouble again, and they send this uh, message quickly to Joshua. Help! Basically, we're in trouble. All these kings are gathered together against us. They want to wipe us out. So now listen, Joshua's not about to have another catastrophe. Um, so he cries out to God and look with me back down there in verse 14 again Um, verse 14 well verse 12 then spake Joshua to the Lord and I'll pause there all right just pause there then spake Joshua to the Lord and then verse 14 and there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. My goodness. And oh, did God ever help. And let's, what I want us to see here tonight, uh, I want us to notice what happens when an obedient Christian learns how to rely on God for help. Um, Doug Barber walked up to Phil Spencer in Duncanville, Texas, 42 years ago or something like that, and said, Phil, uh, I'm looking for somebody to fill in the singles class. The teacher's going to be gone next Sunday. Will you teach that class? And I was like a year into Bible college, and I, I backwards, and I did not, still not really accustomed to being up, believe it or not, in front of people. And I remember how I turned him down. And I remember from that day on how much I regretted that opportunity that I I squandered and I didn't accept that opportunity God gave me. But the biggest thing I I regret is that I did not let God do a work through me. I felt like it was about me. I felt like it was about my weaknesses. And if if it was left up to me, I knew I'd get up there and stammer and and probably stutter a little bit. And my ideas probably weren't going to come together. Poor God. God can't work through just a hunk of clay like me. That was my thoughts. That's so sad. But when you will lay your life down and say, God, I believe you're leading me in this area. I believe this is all about you and not about me. If you'll just take over, I want to see what you'll do. Would you help me in this? God is walking about this whole earth. He's on a search uh, to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose hearts are perfect toward him. That's the word of God. God is looking for people whose hearts are sincere and asking God to bless them. What happens when people learn how to just trust God? One of the things that is outstanding to me tonight is that uh, when, when I fully believe that God is going to work with me and I have called upon him and I, I'm sincere about it and I believe that God's heard my prayer, when I know that and I've got a project I'm doing, a message I want to preach, or something I'm trying to work with, someone I'm trying to visit. I got to tell you that I, my heart's just so much there. I just give it all I've got. It's, 
It's not that I just want to step back and say, okay, God, you got this, and I want to watch you do a work. No, it's not that at all. When your heart is there and you believe God is working, you really do give all you've got. I mean, you give all that you have. Look in verse, go back to verse 9 and 10 with me, if you will, and notice here, Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly, that's the enemy, and went, <clears throat> went up from Gilgal all night, and the Lord discomfited them before Israel, and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon, and smote them to Azekah, and to Makeda. Now that's a, quite a little journey there, and there's a whole lot of action going on there. But all I can see is a group of Israelites supercharged by the power of God in their life and with the knowledge and the knowing that God has heard my prayer and God's going to do something great. When you know that and when you have prayed and you've sought the Lord honestly, the things that begin to happen is that you'll get encouraged and challenged in the work of God. You just can't sit in a pew uh, on your hands and uh, just kind of wait around till the service is over or let the week go by without God using me in some way. Your heart gets charged in serving the Lord. So Israel travels, they go through the night to get to the rescue of their own people. Have you ever traveled through the night? I'm sure they weren't in their um, vehicles. I'm thinking they were on foot, possibly. I don't know if they were on in uh, camels or horses or whatever they may have had at that time, but I've got an idea. They probably were on foot marching with a lot of energy going through them. Uh, I don't like traveling through the night. I don't do good traveling through the night. I used to be able to eat jalapeno cheddar crunchy Cheetos, and I could drive from here to New York. Just give me the biggest bag and I'll go all the way. I don't like crunchy jalapeno cheddar Cheetos anymore. I've had five miles of them. I mean, you put them end to end. I bet they'd be five miles long. And I just, let's see, I went to uh, something else, uh, Doritos. I'm tired of Doritos now, and I'm down to corn nuts now. But I mean, have you ever driven through the night? It's just a hard thing to do, and coffee gets old, and you get jitters, and sticking your head out the window doesn't work. And but these guys are traveling through the night and they're working. They've got a project in front of them. They know that the hand of God is on them. They've sensed that the Lord wants to do something here and they are, they are on a mission and they fight with everything they have uh, to take out this enemy. It was like the spirit of Solomon there in Ecclesiastes 9.10 was just like surging through their minds. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And they were anxious and ready. God's with us. The Lord's told us we're going to win this battle. Let's go uh, get the job done. And even though God had promised them in verse 8 that not one man of them, you and I read that a minute ago, would be able to stand before them, <clears throat> they didn't slack off, but rather intensified their efforts. Again, they didn't like, oh, we're going to win this battle already? Yeah, God already told us that. Oh, great. Well, let's just sit back. I had some friends in Bible college um, somehow got into a study, and the study led them to the belief of hyper-Calvinism. Anybody know what hyper-Calvinism is? They're going to get saved, and for you to offer salvation to them is foolish. That's enough personal affront to God and God's going to get the job done. You can share the gospel and you can give the gospel, uh, 
but really, in essence, this is the entire work of God. And, and I'm going to tell you what happened to those guys. Those guys, uh, we'd have our you know, church-wide visitation, and they would not go. Uh, their, their zeal for evangelism, in what I could see, died. And their desire to see someone come uh, to be brought to Christ just, just dwindled out. And they become like a theologian's mind, and that was about all you could really see in those guys. God help us to never get to the place in our life where we know that the hand of God is with us and, and God is working with us. So let's just sit back and, and let's, you know, the work's going to get done. No, it's not going to get done unless you are allowing God to use you with his hand upon you. And these people knew that. And they were encouraged and they were challenged and ready to go and serve Christ. Even though we know that God is our refuge and strength and that he promised to never leave us or forsake us, and uh, that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Uh, That ought to do nothing but intensify our efforts to serve Him, not cause us to sit back, arms crossed, not serving the Lord. It ought to challenge us. And these people, when they knew that God was going to bless, it just motivated them in the most unbelievable ways. So with the promises of God under our feet, His protective hand over our heads, His guardian angel out in the head of us. Man, we ought to be so motivated to to give God everything we have. Are we motivated in that way? Or have we grown a little slack and lazy and hoping somebody else will, whatever, get the job done? Nobody should be working any harder for God than the people that are sitting here in this room tonight who know the truth and know that the hand of God is upon us and know that great things can still be done uh, with God. It was comical to me. I was reading some stories about some of these things I'm talking to you about here tonight. And um, one story says that this teenager had lost his contact, uh, a contact lens. I I know this is my second contact lens story of the day. But um, so one was one eye. This is about the other eye, the other contact. How about that? So the teenager lost a contact lens while playing basketball in his driveway. Are you with me? And after a fruitless search, he told his mother, Mom, the lens was nowhere to be found. I'm sorry. Um, But undaunted, she went outside, and in just a few minutes, here comes Mom. She's got the contact lens in her hand. And the teenager looks at his mom. Mom, I really looked hard for that, uh, that the young guy said. How'd you manage to find it? Listen to this. Well, it's because we weren't looking for the same thing. She replied, you were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) That's so true, too. When you're not the one who has to pay the price, you you don't get it, and your motivation's not there. Again, nobody should have any more motivation in your ministry or your service to God than the Christians with all the promises and all the guarantees that are in this book here tonight. Every one of us ought to have that motivation and understand the price that was paid for us to be able to have these promises was a tremendous price. Once you understand the price that was paid for something, it gives you a motivation to go out and do something about it. I want to challenge us here tonight to know there's been a a great sacrifice made for us guys to guarantee that we can get out and get the job done. I I just want to 
uh, pause for a minute and challenge us here tonight. Guys, will you work on somebody this week? I'm asking, will you work on somebody this week to try to either begin getting into their heart about the gospel? Do you have a co-worker that you could begin talking to or you already have been or God's been convicting you about maybe a neighbor or somebody that you really need to be working on and talking to them about the Lord? And I want to challenge you, this week will you do that? Would you get motivated to let God use you this week and then do everything you can to get somebody to come to the house of God? Nobody ought to be more motivated than those who know the price that's been paid to get us here to where we're at tonight. And with all those promises, like he told them, uh, you you guys, you're going to win this battle, just so you know that. That's a great promise. And God's told us all those promises. Can we work this week to get the work of God done and see what the Lord will do? Amen? By next Sunday. What else happens when somebody believes that God can do great things in my life? That, that I just believe the hand of God's going to work. I, I really sense that the Lord heard my prayer and God wants to do some things in my life. What else can happen in that person's life? Number two tonight, God initiates the heavens to become our ally. Now the heavens have been at times not my ally. I've been out on my prayer time walking and uh, the dark clouds began to roll in. The lightning started flashing and boy, oh boy, did my walk turn into a run. I'm telling you what, I, there's times the heavens, um, uh, we, we went, first year I came to Eastside Baptist Church, a bunch of people like on a weekend like this on a Friday and Saturday wanted to go to, I think we went out to Lake Vermilion and tornadoes everywhere that night. And the last thing I remember is our tent laying flat on our face. Uh, winds had knocked it down, water, everything, and us running and, and sleeping inside the car that night. Uh, there have been times that the heavens were not, I didn't feel like they were my friend, but I'm going to tell you what, this time God uh, initiated the heavens to become their ally. It's when God said, yep, I'll answer your prayer, I'm, I'm going to be a help to you, I understand you are serving me, you're trying to accomplish the purposes that I sent you out for, and you're shorthanded in some ways, yes, I will help you and I will answer your prayer, I'll turn the heavens to become your ally. So here's what we need to know about these Canaanites. Listen to this, guys. These are the people that um, Israel's trying to wipe out. These are the ones that came up against Gibeon and were going to attack the Gibeonites because you traitors turned on us. These Canaanites, here's what you need to know about these Canaanites. The three principal deities or gods whom the inhabitants of Canaan, they just adored and they idolized. Listen to these. Here's their idols, the main ones that were just so special to them. The sun, (laughs) listen, the sun, the moon, and the heavens. (laughs) So to convince them, therefore, that the small g gods on whom they trusted were subject to the God of Israel, and to punish them at the same time for the false worship that they were giving to the sun, the moon, and the heavens... The Lord showered down those hailstones, and you saw what happened there. I mean, I have the best imagination, man. I love to just sit back. I'll read a verse and just sit back and think about it and watch those huge hailstones. Was it about a week ago we had some pretty good hail in Sioux Falls, and and I was glad my car was in the garage, and I had a garage to put my car in, and it was just pounding. And I can just imagine the size of hailstones it had to be that were pounding on those Canaanites. 
Guess where those hailstones were coming from? As far as they were concerned, they were coming from the heavens. Aren't you our God up there? And here God is using the hailstones to, to teach them that lesson. It slew huge numbers of their great big army. And then God stopped those two huge light sources in the sky, the, the sun and the moon. Oh, wait a minute. The sun and the moon. You mean those two big lights that the Canaanites actually bowed down to and worshipped? And God stopped them and used them to allow the Israelites to wipe them out? Yes, that's exactly what God did. God turned the heavens to be an ally for the Israelites. Gave the, uh, the Israelites the time, gave them the opportunity to be able to complete their victory over the remainder of the enemy. Wow, that's just such a huge blessing to my heart. So, listen, more Canaanites were killed with God's hailstones than Israel was able to kill with the sword. Then I can only imagine, use my imagination, to just think and stop and think about what it was like to see the sun stopped in its course and the moon to stop moving across the, the night sky. Now, we say, and what the Bible says to us, is that the, the sun stood still. God says that so that humans would understand that. But you understand the sun is not what rotates. You understand it's the earth that's rotating around the sun. And when the sun stopped, God stopped the earth in its course. Do, do you understand what really happened there? You, um, astronomers, and, and uh, Mike Robinson and I were talking this morning, and when Stan Swinney, you guys remember Stan Swinney? Anybody else remember Stan? He was the uh, guy that worked on um, uh, NASA's crew, and they sent the uh, spacecraft to the moon. He owned the patent on the uh, space controls, but he was a Baptist preacher and, uh, and spent his last many years preaching the gospel and, and a great man of God, so wise and knowledgeable. And he was talking about that and, and what God had to do for that to happen. The heavens and the earth, the stars in their course, basically had to stop so that the sun would stay in its spot for us on earth and the moon would stay over here and those two night lights now are lit up uh, right over the spot where they're fighting their battle until Israel could get the job done. It's an amazing story to me. I can't believe how the hand of God, one man, a, a hunk of flesh, lifts his head toward heaven and says, God, would you help us with this so that we can get the job done? I remember Yvette and I were, um, we had just bought our very first house, 2813 East 14th Street here in Sioux Falls. And uh, we had to, oh, because of the arrangement of the finances for it, we had to have so much sweat equity involved in it. And it was like November. And we were trying to paint the house. <laughs> November. Uh, it was like the first of November. Uh, but it was like a sunny day. And it was like 34 degrees instead of 32. <laughs> so I'm like, it won't freeze. And I remember painting so fast and trying to get this house painted. And then the sun started tipping down. And oh, what I have loved is said, sun, stand still. <laughs> Moon, stand still. Uh, matter of fact, warm up about 10 degrees. Man, what I have loved to have done something like that. Joshua did. And Joshua looked up 
And having prayed to God and commanded that sun to stand still and the moon to stay still until all that enemy was wiped out. If they didn't wipe them out, guys, if they let them get away uh, for another day, guaranteed they're going to come back on you and, and they're going to they're gonna come and attack again and it's going to cost uh, people's lives and somebody's wives are going to be uh, taken and ravished. Somebody's husband and young men are going to be slain. So we got to get this job done and let's do it right. So God, would you help us to finish the job? God said, yep, I'll do just about anything you ask me to do. Would you hold the sun still? I'll do that. Wow. Well, God, I've got a pretty big thing in my life right now. I've got, a, I've got this thing going on, God, and, and you can name what it is. I go through finances, family, work-related, health. Um, I've got this thing going on, God, and you know I'm trying to serve you. And I'd love to finish the job well. And you wonder tonight if God would be willing to help somebody like me. You and I both know there are times that God does miraculous things in our lives and changes the course of nature even in our physical bodies sometimes. Circumstances have changed from time to time. Obviously, we don't today. We have the Word of God. We have the full revelation of God. We know His promises. We don't have the the, the miracles that uh, were given in the Bible time to prove the power of God and so forth. We know the power of God now. But I wonder how many of us have stopped praying that God would do a big thing in my life so that I could go on and serve Him. Because I just don't know if God would ever do something like that for someone like, like who? Like you? Like somebody that he paid a tremendous price to get you to where you're at already tonight? Yes. God will do whatever it takes to help you get the job that God wants done through you to be accomplished. And I'm, I'm just wondering tonight if maybe sometimes some of us may have just kind of backed away a little bit. Yeah, preacher, I know the promises of God. I heard you quote them a while ago. I, I can do all things through Christ. And, and I like to say amen along with everybody else when you, you know, go for an amen there. But in the back of my heart, I've kind of backed away from that, to be honest with you. It doesn't seem to have that impact on my life like it used to. And I would just ask you, how come? Why have we short, shorted the hand of God and thought less of him than he would for anybody else in life. God wants to work with us. God wants to help us. God wants us to accomplish the things in life that he has put us here for. <laughs> You're not going to ask him anything too big. I promise you that. The sun, the moon, <laughs> what else could he have asked? I don't know, what else could you ask for bigger than that? And God answered. You're not going to ask for anything too big or, or too difficult or too hard. But it, it would be important to find out if it's the will of God. Why not ask Him? Why not lay it out before the Lord? Why not describe all the details and then say, God, 
Would you provide for me in this and do what I cannot do? Some of this is, has to be God. I'm going to get up from here and I'm going to, like, like the Israelites went hard after the enemy, I'll get up and I'll serve you, God. I'll do my part. But what's wrong with turning to God and saying, God, would you work in this circumstance in my life, in my family, in my situation that I'm in? Why not? I, I just want to challenge you. Don't shrink God. He fills the universe. And he can handle your problems. He knows your need. Let's, let's let him do that. Could we do that tonight? I'm going to ask if you'll bow your heads with me. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.